Well, good morning. Welcome to the services this morning. As Brother Michael said, we appreciate your presence very much. We do have a lot that are uh, traveling, and uh, we want to remember them in the prayer. Somebody might want to, is this too loud? It's not uh, too loud for you, Jim. Might want to change the volume or check the volume. We do appreciate your presence very much. We're going to start um, a study of the book of Colossians. And um, as I reread the book of Colossians this week, I was uh, I was reading it in light of, you know, kind of what does it mean to us today. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the history, the geography, the industry, kind of what was going on in this little town of Colossae in, uh, in the... Uh, Far reaches of the world, an area that we don't get to very often, don't don't get to go there very often, don't hear about it very often. It's in a little area of Turkey is where this little town is located. And so we're going to talk about that. If you can see the screen there, it's very faint, but in the background you'll see little, looks like little pieces of of red yarn. Well, that's what Colossi was known for, actually. And so when you think about the industry, um, the, uh, the, the, they were, were uh, known for this famous red wool cloth. So the yarn that was made into, into clothes. In fact, it was called Colossium or Colossinium or something like that. And that was this red uh, yarn that was actually made into cloth. And that was the industry that Colossi was known for. They were located, the city was located in the Lycus River Valley. And uh, it was uh, had some sister cities or some cities that were very near to it that we are familiar with, like Laodicea and Heropolis. And so those cities were right there, very near to it. So it was um, it was in stiff competition with these two uh, cities as well, because they also produced this red yarn and this red cloth. And we'll learn a little bit about uh, that as we go through our study this morning. So geographically. You see from this top map up here what's called the Lycus River Valley. And you'll see Colossae and Heropolis and Laodicea. We remember that uh, John wrote in Revelations to the church at Laodicea. Remember he told that's the church that they said that their works were neither cold nor hot. And because they were neither cold nor hot, the Lord was going to spew them out of his mouth. Well, that was right here in this uh, in this valley beside uh, Colossae. So this area was underneath Roman rule at the time. So uh, Rome ruled all of this area and even the, the bigger area and, and really most of this part of the world at the time. It's in what's uh, called Asia Minor. Today it would be the southwest corner of modern Turkey. And it's a, geographically about a 100 miles inland through this valley from Ephesus. And we all remember Ephesus, right? There's a book to the, the Ephesian brothers in Ephesus is right as well. This area geographically is called Phrygia, I believe is the way you pronounce that. Michael might be able to correct some of these later on. Um, but I believe that's called Phrygia. So that's a district or an area of the Roman rule called Phrygia. So historically, they had an earthquake in about 17 AD, and they dug out from underneath that earthquake and kind of reestablished the city. Maybe not quite as powerful. That was uh, when Tiberius was ruler. And then in AD 60, in the, during the reign of Nero, which we know Nero was one of the great persecutors of the church, they had another earthquake, this one a little bit more severe. 
in the and the city really never regained its prominence. It was reduced; uh, its significance was reduced in about 100 A.D. By 400 A.D., the city of Colossae had really uh, ceased to exist. So, some 400 years after Christ is uh, is uh, born, um, the city of Colossae that Paul wrote to uh, no longer exists. A lot of it due to the stiff competition of some of these other cities. A lot of it due to the earthquakes and just some bad luck of being there in that in that valley near those other cities when when the earthquakes happened. So this letter to the Colossi, the letter to the Colossians, was written by Paul. He identifies himself as the writer in Colossians one and verse number one, where he said that uh, he was the writer. It was one of his four. Um, prison ministry. So while he was in prison, he wrote to these uh, brethren here at Colossae. He wrote to Philemon, to the Philippians, and also to the Ephesians. Most of the uh, most of the uh, commentators, most of the historians believe that this was somewhere around 60 to 62 AD. And again, these years are not uh, uh, exact. These are historical dates. And then there's this question that Jeremy and I were talking about, and that was, has Paul ever been to, to Colossae? There's a great debate in, in uh, theology about whether he was ever there or whether, he was, or whether this letter... So some people say, well, if he was never there, how did this letter, letter get written? How did, what, how did he know what to write? Short of the fact that the Holy Spirit was telling him <laughs> what to write. They keep forgetting that. Uh, the Holy Spirit was telling him what to write. So I wanted to examine that just real quick. Jeremy may talk a little bit more about this. But sometime around 53 to 56 A.D., Paul was in Ephesus. So Paul visits Ephesus a couple of different times. In his first missionary, his second missionary journey, I'm sorry, Paul comes through Ephesus and he stops there and he's in the synagogues and he debates in the synagogues for a little while and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind and he is about to leave. They say, hey, Paul, we'd like for you to stay. He said, I can't. I've got other things I need to do. And he said, but if God wills, I'll return. Well, some four or five years later in his third missionary journey, Paul does return to Ephesus and he spends the better part of two years there. And it's during his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 19 that this little phrase is written. And it says, And this and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So what he's saying, and again, whether you take this figuratively or literally or, or whatever, what it's saying is during the time that Paul was here in Ephesus, this part of the country had an opportunity to hear the word of God. And that most of the people heard it and were, that, that heard it and wanted to obey the word were converted in this part of the country during this third missionary journey time period that happens in Acts chapter 19. That doesn't tell us whether he was actually in Colossae or not, but he was within a hundred miles of it and he was there for two years. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 4, it says, since we heard of their faith in Jesus. So as Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians, he says, since we heard, that would tell me that maybe he wasn't there, that somebody had come and told him something. He said, since we heard about what happened in Colossae, right? So uh, he may not have been there. He, he had heard of their faith. And then in verse number seven, it says, as you also, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, so we've talked about Epaphras here, I don't know, months ago or so. We talked about Epaphras. Epaphras lived in Colossae. 
A lot of people think that Epaphras may have founded the church in Colossae. Some people think the church may have worshipped in his home in Colossae. But now he is in Rome with Paul. So he has left the church at Colossae. He's come to Rome. And he has told Paul some things. And he says, we've learned. And that you've learned from our fellow servant Epaphras. So he's saying, Epaphras you were, was in Colossae and he was teaching you. You've learned from him. So Epaphras we know was there. And probably lived in that area. And then a verse that I know Jeremy's probably going to talk a little bit more about later says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So that's in chapter 2 of Colossae. And so as he's writing to these Colossian brethren, he seems to indicate that they have not seen him face to face in the flesh. So that's my take on whether Paul was in Colossae had been to Colossae before he actually wrote the letter or not. But I don't think that's important because I think what's, uh, what is important is, number one, the Holy Spirit's guiding what he writes, number one. Number two, Eberfus had come and I think had told him what all's going on in Colossae and had asked him to write this letter back to his brothers and sisters in Colossae to help with some of the things that they were struggling with and some of the things that they were fighting back in Colossae. And we're going to talk about some of those. So this might be a little boring, but I've got two slides that goes through every one of the characters that I found in the book of Colossae with just a little quick, brief description. So I'll run through those with you uh, really fast because I don't want to bore you too much. Number one, Paul is mentioned in verse one as the author. He's the apostle. He's imprisoned there in Rome. Uh, Some believe it's a house arrest. Some believe he's actually in prison. Timotheus is mentioned there with him. Timotheus, he calls him a brother. We think that we know that's a brother in Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. He was from the same general area as Colossae and probably knew Colossae. And some people think that he was put there in verse number one with Paul as an indication that, that again, to give Paul credibility that he knew what was going on in Colossae to these uh, Colossian brothers, Colossian brothers that he was writing to. Epaphras, we talked about, as mentioned in verse 7, was a fellow servant, a fellow prisoner, he's referred to in Philemon. And I know Michael's going to talk a little bit about Philemon and his relationship to the church there at uh, Colossae. He was a teacher at the church at uh, Colossae and uh, may have been the founder. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Tychicus is mentioned in the end of the book in chapter 4 and verse number 7. He's called a beloved brother, a fellow servant, faithful minister. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 4 says he is of Asian descent and he was a messenger uh, to and from Colossae and uh, Ephesus. Onesimus chapter 4 and verse number 9. Faithful and beloved brother lived in the area of Colossae, Colossae, if not in Colossae itself, and was a servant of Philemon. And I I know Michael's going to talk about these characters a little bit more. Um, in uh, one of the sermons toward the end of this uh, dive into the book of Colossians. I don't even know how you say this fellow's name, but I'll say Aristotrus. He was a fellow prisoner, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. He traveled with Paul, and he was caught up in the trouble in in Acts chapter 19 that they got into uh, at at Ephesus. And you can read Acts 19 about uh, all uh, all that trouble. Marcus, or John Mark, and is uh, introduced in chapter 4 and verse number 10. He's the one that uh, Paul and Barnabas kind of had a little bit of a, a 
a discussion over. He was, uh, I guess, Barnabas' nephew, his sister's, his sister's son. So, uh, and Barnabas and Paul were leaving, and they wanted to take uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and and Paul said, "No, I don't. I don't want to take him." They get in such a discussion about it, or uh, that uh, uh, Barnabas and John Mark go their own separate way. Paul goes a different direction. Um, he's Paul and John Mark are later reconciled, and Paul mentions him here with with affection. So, uh, and then Barnabas is mentioned there in that same verse. He was of the tribe of Levi. He was from Cyprus. He was a teacher in the church at Antioch, according to Acts chapter 13. He sold his estate and gave it all the money to the apostles in Acts chapter 4. And uh, he was a a great uh, confidant and a traveler uh, with Paul. There's a character named Jesus, which was his Jewish name mentioned in chapter 4 and verse number 11. He was called Justice, and uh, was his Roman name, a fellow worker and a Jewish Christian, and we'd know very, uh, very little more about him than that. Luke is mentioned in chapter 4 and verse number 14. Most uh, recognize this as Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles and a companion of Paul. There's some debate over that. And then Demas is mentioned in verse number 14, and we've, we recognize Demas as, uh, uh, it's spoken of here with accommodations, but later we uh, find that uh, he leaves Paul and forsakes Paul and uh, that uh, story and goes back to Thessalonica. He says that he uh, forsakes him having uh, having love of this present world. So he's spoke of here with accommodation, but later uh, historically we know that uh, Demas uh, and Paul kind of have a falling out. As, uh, as I think they're being persecuted and they're being challenged and everything, and, and, and Demas decides that... Uh, it's uh, it's not worth it uh, for him, and so he leaves Paul and goes back to Thessalonica, as a lot of people end up leaving Paul towards the the later end of his life, to kind of face the uh, the Romans. They're kind of alone. So why was the letter written? Got some big words for you, like syncretism, which is a combination of different, often seemingly contradictory beliefs, while melding practices of various schools of thought. So that's where we get the word sync, right? You sync your phone to your iPad or to your iPad to your computer or whatever. We all know how to sync our devices, right? And that's what that, where that word comes from. And what they were going, what was going on in the church there was they had a lot of different things trying to come together into one. So you had Jews and you had Gentiles and you had, uh, you had people of Asian descent and you had all these different cultures and all these different people trying to come together and sync. So when you think about our culture here in America, very, very similar to that, right? We've got all of these different things that are trying to sync together. And so you've got the, in the, in the time of the Colossian brothers, you had the Judaistic ritualisms and the traditional, uh, traditionalisms. And so you remember that a lot of the stories, as Paul writes to these early churches, is all about kind of forgetting about the Judaism traditions and the Judaism rituals and the circumcision and non-circumcision, and they're trying to figure out what all stays in the old law and what all comes into this new covenant, and they're trying to, everybody's trying to sync everything up to try to make it politically correct. And so they're fighting against that in Colossae. They've got the Greeks and the Oriental philosophies that are, that they're fighting against. And then they've got false teachers that are fighting, that they're fighting against. And they're teaching things like another big word, veneration, which is basically over reverence of angels. And so they were trying to put angels at a higher level than they were really supposed to be in the church. 
And the reason that we know that they're fighting against all of this is because these are the things that Paul wrote about in this book to Colossae. And so when we reverse engineer, those had to be the things that were important to the, to the, uh, to the people there. Another word, ascetic. Uh, and so this is uh, where you uh, have this severe self-discipline um, things like, you know, fasting for, you know, huge lengths of time or it's kind of where I would tell you that I believe the, um, the Catholic religion, the whole thing from Lent to that's all part of this ascetic thing where they're denying their self for a certain period of time for some reason. Well, there was, there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on in the church and Paul, Paul talks about this in the letter here to the, to the Colossians, um, that we'll talk about. There was this uh, this concept of Gnosticism, and I don't begin to understand this. Maybe Michael can explain it later, but what it does do, what I do understand about it is, is it begins to minimize the deity of Christ. So it puts Christ at a different level uh, and lowers his preeminence. And so the Bible here in Colossians talks a lot about what's Christ's proper place in this whole thing, this whole Christian religion, Paul's going to talk to them about that in this in this book. And finally, the, the, the there's these these purposes, but they can all really be uh, boiled down to a couple of other things, and that was that they had misunderstood the doctrine of Christ, and they had misunderstood how this doctrine applies to their daily lives. And so, when I think about us today. Not that we necessarily misunderstand the doctrine of Christ, but I think what is good for us is to understand how the doctrine of Christ applies to our lives every day and how we're to live to be better Christians. And that's going to be talked about as a theme all the way through the book of of, uh, Colossae. So is it applicable to us today? We live in the age of syncretism, right? We're syncing everything. It's politically correct, right? It's a, everybody's religion's okay. We're all going to the same place. Let's all get this thing synced up. And um, there's this concept of being politically correct about everything in religion. There's mysticism and Eastern religion and essentialism and man-made philosophies are all trying to be pushed together into this, into these, into this, uh, into into Christianity. And so, again, a play on words, but we live in a time where Christ may be prominent, but he's not preeminent, if that makes any sense. So we live in an America, right, that says it's founded on God. In God we trust is on our money. We believe in God, right? Everybody pretty much will say we believe in Christ. But there's a difference in all of that in putting Christ in a preeminent location. And I know Michael's going to talk a lot about that, I'm sure. I don't want to steal his thunder. And so when I think about all of this, is it applicable to us today? Absolutely. And Paul knew it would be, right, when he penned it. That's why all this stuff was saved for us in the New Testament. A couple of statistics for you. Since 2005... These have been dropping at the rate of a half a percent to three quarters of a percent per per year. Starting in about in 2005, they were in about the 70s. A lot of these were 72, 73, 74, 75 percent. They've been dropping at the rate of a half a percent to three quarters of a percent per year. Number one, a belief in heaven and hell. Number two, a belief that Jesus is God or the Son of God. Number three, the resurrection of Jesus, that our souls survive death. 
and the belief in a virgin birth. So just when you kind of wrap all of that up and you go, okay, since 2005 till now, at the rate of a half a percent, so these have been dropping at the rate of 5 to 6 to 7 percent. So out of the 70s into the 60s, headed to the 50s, we're going to be in a few years in a minority in this belief. So we're going to be below 50 percent of the United States people believe that Jesus was God at these, at these rates of decline. And that's scary to me to know that in a nation that was founded on God, that's got in God we trust on its money, that's supposedly a Christian nation, that we're going to be in the minority in the next few years, out of the 60s into the 50s, out of the 50s into the 40s. At the same time, evolution is up 5% from 42 to 47%. So in a few years, over 50% of the people are going to believe that evolution is the cause, not Christ. The belief in reincarnation, a belief in witches, a belief in UFOs, and a belief in astrology, all of these things are on the rise. At the same time, Christianity is on the decrease. I think the entire United States needs to look at the book of Colossians. And so that's why I think it's important for us to examine it. Paul writing to the Colossian brethren in the first chapter in the first four or in verses two to six says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be to you, grace be unto you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come from you as it, as it is, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth, bringeth forth fruit at the, as it doth also in you, since the day you, ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So as Paul introduces this letter to the Corinthians, first of all, he says, you know, grace and peace be unto you and that we are praying for you always. Paul had a great love for the church and he had a great love for the people at Colossae, even though he might not have met them face to face. And he said, man, I've got a great love for you. I'm praying for your peace. And, and later on, it talks about Epaphras and his prayer. And, and Epaphras and him were praying together for these people in Colossae. And then he goes on to build them up. He says, man... Um, we love. Uh, we know that you have the love which you have for all the saints, and a hope which is laid up for you, and that you're bringing forth fruit, and, and, and that you are also bringing forth fruit. So he says, "Hey, we've got a great love for you. We got a great peace for you, and we're hoping and we're praying for you. And you guys are doing the right things. You've got you're bringing forth fruit. You're doing the right things. You've got a great hope. You've got a great faith." You're doing the right things. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a deeper look into the book of Colossians. Michael's going to talk to us about the preeminence of Christ next week. Jeremy's going to talk a little bit about uh, Paul's ministry to the church. Um, uh, Jeremy Cole is in a couple of weeks. Dusty's going to talk about being alive in Christ. Matt's going to talk about letting no one disqualify you. Luke's going to talk about putting on the new man, and then uh, I'm going to circle back and talk about the rules for a Christian household and a bit too much with uh, Michael and Philemon. So I think 
uh, hopefully you've gotten a little bit of, you, you've understand a little bit about this uh, book of Colossians. You understand a little bit about the city of Colossae. You understand a little bit more about how it could be applicable to us today in our lives and the things that we struggle with because all those are the things that we struggle with every day. And those are the things that the book of Colossae talks about specifically and how we're going to use them in our lives, how we're going to raise our kids, how we're going to relate to each other. Paul ends it with this in verse number 18. He says, remember my bonds. And I thought about now, why would Paul end the letter to the Colossians with that? Why would he say, remember my bonds? Well, what's the, why would that be important? Why would he say, remember my bonds? I, I think it simply means that he wants them to understand his love for the church. And the willingness that he has to do anything he needs to do for them. It's an emphasis of his love. He told them as he opened it, he said, Men, we love you. We're playing for your peace. I'm in prison. I'm in bonds. Just remember what I'm doing for the work of the, for the work of Christ. Remember where my love has taken me for Jesus. Remember the commitments that I'm willing to make. Remember my bonds. He's not saying pity me, you know. He's not saying, "Man, I, you know, send me money or pity me." He's not. He's not asking for their pity. He's asking for them to remember what he is doing for them and the reason that all of that is happening. He's saying, "Remember my bonds. This is important. This we're we're not we're not playing church," as Brother Truman used to say as he as he beat on the table real loudly. That was because half of us might have been asleep or something at this time. We're not playing church. It's important. Remember my bonds. I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately going to give everything just like Christ gave everything for this church. It's important. And so when you, when you end a letter like that, you got to think that between, hey, we love you and your guys are doing great and remember my bonds, that there's going to be some good stuff in between there that, that we need to get out of it. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks is take a deep dive into Colossians and to understand what that message means to us as Christians today. So hopefully that's been interesting. Hopefully you've gotten a little bit out of the, this book of Colossians. If there's, um, if there's anything that you need from the church this morning, if you need prayers, if things in your life aren't going the way that you want them to go and you want us to pray for you, we'd be glad to do that. If you'd like to become a member of the church, be baptized uh, and become a member of the church. We'd offer that this morning as you stand and sing.